Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. So we come back to the same text that we looked at last week and add a few verses to it. As we look at this encounter, this dialogue that Jesus has with the woman in Samaria, sometimes called the woman at the well. I want us to think about it again. We'll spend several weeks in this encounter, and we're going back over the same text to some degree. I hope seeing it from just a tad bit of a different perspective today. But there's so much to glean from this passage. There's so much to understand. This is one of the most dramatic uh, encounters that you'll find in the New Testament, in the the Gospel of John. It it is just an enormous expression of God's grace, Christ's grace, Christ's compassion, Christ's love uh, towards someone that everything culturally says he should have nothing to do with. Uh, Everything culturally said, whether it's racially or or gender-wise, that he should have nothing to do with this woman. This is, this is taboo. This is breaking every social norm that you will ever find. This is equivalent to, to what happened in America back in the 60s and the 50s, if you will. I remember growing up in those days. I was born in 1951. So I saw the segregation. I saw the, the mistreatment of the African-American race. And I, I'll never forget one day, it being in the medical arts building, and, and seeing the, the restrooms that were separate, the water fountains that were separate, and, and seeing a, a water fountain marked colored only. And I, I was probably eight, nine years old. I had no idea what that meant, what that was all about. I thought maybe it was a better water. And so I went over to it, and I got me a drink of water. And a policeman who was in the hallway, a guard for the medical arts building, came running to me and said, you can't do that. That's for coloreds only. And I thought, well, I'm a color, I'm white. That's a color, isn't it? And and it was just amazing to see the the differentiation that took place in those days. An absolutely atrocious separation that that relegated a a whole race to, to, if you will, a second-class citizenship. Well, that's where the Samaritans were, and the Jews had nothing to do with them. The Jews would not speak to them. The Jews certainly wouldn't drink after them by drawing something out of the water and taking a drink of it. But here is Jesus coming through Samaria, and we'll read this text in a moment together, and he encounters this woman who Jewish men didn't speak to women, much less Samaritan women, and yet he says to her, I am thirsty, would you give me a drink? And she is stunned, much like I guess that guard was that was stunned when he saw me getting a drink out of the wrong water fountain. What do you mean? Give me a drink, she says. Well, listen to the text. Hear how John records this encounter, starting in verse 1. And, and the, this, I know the bulletin says we'll go through verse uh, 15. I think we're actually going to go through verse 20. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again into Galilee. And and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, and uh, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That is about noon, since six hours since sunup. 
there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, that is, you would have asked me, and I would give you, I would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? water. You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. In other words, the buckets of water are heavy, and I have to come at a time of the day that is hot and wearisome. Give me this water, so I don't have to deal with this normal water anymore. She's still thinking on the natural level, just like Nicodemus did. And he said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I I have no husband. Jesus answered her and said, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Greatest understatement of all Scripture. It really is. Greatest understatement all in the the Bible. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. We'll stop there. The encounter. The encounter that Jesus has with this woman gives us great insight on how we ought to encounter people as we are sharing the gospel with them. It's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He comes to this woman who has great need. I mean, the evidence of the fall in her life, the evidence of sin in her life is great. Go get your husband, bring him back. I I, I don't have a husband. You're right. You speak truthfully. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and now you're living with someone that's not even your husband. I mean, mean, there there was obvious need in this woman's life that he begins by sharing the truth with her. And I want you to see several things about it. I want you to see how he begins with the relevancy of his conversation. He doesn't start by a theological discussion of the fall. He doesn't start by saying, you know, you're right, you're a sinner, and you need, you need to repent, you need to come to faith. You need... He doesn't start there. He starts by talking about all things, the most common thing there, but something that she really understands, and that is water. We showed last Sunday how water is used throughout Scripture, and even Scott read today as he read from, from the Psalms, he read a passage where the psalmist talks about how God will restore to his people springs of water, living water, good water. That, that's a symbol, that's symbolic of God's Spirit giving life and, and sustaining life among his people. And, and so you have here 
Jesus talking with her about uh, in a relevant sort on everything she could understand. The whole conversation is crouched in terms that the woman could understand. Even when Jesus tries to get beyond the present experience, he talks about eternal life in, in terms of eternal living water. He, he doesn't try to overcome her, overpower her with theological jargon here. She's given handles by where she can put on it. We need to learn that too. As we encounter people with the gospel, we need to come to them where they are in their areas of need and share with them in areas that they can understand. We want to move them beyond that. We want to get them to the point of Christ and understanding who Christ is. But many times they need some kind of handle that they can put their hands on right where they're living and right where they are. That's what Jesus is doing with this lady. We saw last week also his humanness, his humanity. We saw that it says he was passing through here and he became wearied. He became thirsty. He, he had a need for some water. There's the humanness of Christ coming out clear. But, but there's a naturalness about him. In his humanity, there's a natural conversation with this woman that, that no one else would have dared had a conversation with. As a matter of fact, if the disciples had not been gone into town to buy food for their meal, if they had been standing around, they would have probably began to question, Lord, what are you doing? How is it you talk to this Samaritan? How is it you talk to this Samaritan woman? And beyond that, how is it that you are going to let her give you water out of her filthy Samaritan cup? Why would you dare do that? Jesus strikes down all the social taboos because Jesus recognizes and knows that this woman's need is far beyond social. This woman's need is deeply moral and deeply spiritual. And yet had he come right out and just blasted her with that and not in a natural conversation, there would have been, there would have been a resistance that even goes beyond the little bit of resistance she gives in a moment that we'll see. I want you also to see not only his humanity, but I want you to see his, his divine nature coming through in this encounter because you find there that not only is he uh, is he aware that she is a Samaritan not only is he aware that she's a woman but he's he's aware that she is a woman with an an ungodly lifestyle she's a woman with an ungodly background and she understands all the finer uh, finer points of her historical situation just go and bring your husband back and let's talk about this living water I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right. You don't. You've had five. How did he know that? He'd not been there. He'd not done a background check on this woman. He'd not gone to the courthouse and checked all the marriage records that, that this woman's name might come up on. I mean, you know, he, he didn't have any of that at his disposal. But he knew her because who he was. He was not just a man walking from Judea back down to Jerusalem through Samaria. He was the God-man. He was the man who sees the need of every human heart. He is the man who knows where you are, what you've been through, what you're going through, and what you're going to go through. He is the one who has divine understanding and divine knowledge that goes beyond anything that a human being could know. Just as he did with Nathaniel back when he was calling his disciples, he does now with this woman. And he says, I know your heart and I know you through and through, and you're, you're honest with me. You're telling me the truth. You don't have a husband right now. You're involved in an immoral, adulterous relationship. He doesn't go there. He just says, I know. You had five husbands. You're not living with their, a man you're living with now who's not your husband. I understand that. You're telling me the truth. You can go through the book of John, indeed, the whole New Testament. You can find case after case after case 
where that, that understanding that Jesus has looking into the heart of an individual that stands before him uh, goes very clearly to the heart of the matter. But he talks with her. He confronts her gently, talking about water. He confronts her gently with her sin, with her disobedience to God's moral order. And he does it with a moral integrity, and he does it with a, with a directness. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't give her some kind of easy believism here. He doesn't say, well, it doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter where you're living now. Listen, you just believe and everything will be all right. No, he confronts her at the area of her need and at the area of her greatest fallenness. He said, this is an issue here, but I want you to understand that there is life beyond that. The effects of the fall in your life are not going to be swept under the carpet. They're not going to be acting like they're not even there. The, Roman, the woman has a very emotional response to Jesus. She has a very, a very natural response to Jesus. Oh, oh, give me this water. I don't want to come back here. I don't like coming to this well in the middle of the day when it's hot because all the other women shun me who come in the morning, who come in the evening. I have to come in the middle of the day, and these water pots are heavy, and I don't want to have to come back here again. Oh, please, whoever you are, whatever you can do, give me this water. Jesus is, is very direct to her to say, you've got to understand something. This water is not just something you drink through a cup. This water is living water. And he gives a positive presentation of the gospel. You know, although the moral needs of the, the woman are confronted and, and a call to repentance is going to be issued very clearly, Jesus' presentation of the gospel is a positive and a winsome presentation. I can give you water. I can give you water whereby you'll never thirst again. I'm not talking about this kind of water that can sit in a glass and satisfy a, a temporary ter- a thirst. I, I'm talking about water that will satisfy for all eternally. He, he, he clearly tells the woman, what I'm offering you in this water, this living water, is eternal life. It's life with the Father, it's life with God, and, and I'm offering it to you as a gift of God today. So I want you to see the, the positiveness of it. Here, come to the water. Come and drink of the water. Come and know eternal life. And how does she respond? She says, after hearing about her lifestyle very briefly, very succinctly by the Lord, she says, oh, I see you're a prophet. And and immediately she tries to sidetrack him. You notice that? She says, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. You see things. God reveals things to you. You know things that that no normal person would know. I perceive that you're a prophet. Well, tell me about this. We say you ought to worship God in this mountain. You people, you Jews, say you ought to worship down in Jerusalem. So who's right? You ever been in an evangelistic encounter? You ever been sharing the gospel with somebody and they immediately throw up some kind of a secondary question? We call those smoke screens. You know, they, they really have no relevance to the situation at hand. They have no relevance to what the question is. Uh, they just say, oh, well, let me ask you this. You know, you, you're saying that, that, that you're, a prof- you're showing you're a prophet here, but, but where are we all to worship you? Here or uh, worship God here or down in Jerusalem? Where is it that it ought to be? We won't see this clearly today. We'll see it more clearly next week. But I want you to see that Jesus hears her statement, understands what she's saying, but refuses to be sidetracked. 
refuses to let the, 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 the question side drag. You know, people always do that. You're sharing the gospel with them, and they might bring up, well, what do you believe about predestination? Well, what does that matter? You need life. I'm offering you, either, I'm offering you the, the gift of God here in Christ. What do you mean asking about that? That's not an issue for the moment. Is this equivalent to what she asked here? Well, well what, about the, what about the innocent native in Africa who's never heard the gospel? You've you never had that thrown at you when you're being, trying to evangelize? Well, that's, ir- that's irrelevant. First of all, there's no such person. There's nobody innocent according to Scripture. No matter where they are, they are sinners in the sight of God, and they need Christ. So what's, what's the issue of the question? Well, how will they be dealt with? Justly and rightly and righteously by God? That's the answer. Not the answer they want, because they want it to be a sidetrack. They want it to, to derail the conversation, to get it away from themselves. And that's what this woman's trying to do. She's just saying, look, don't look at me. Don't point at me. I want to ask you some bigger theological questions. Bigger theological questions don't matter at this point. Now, you know me well enough to know that, to me, bigger theological questions are very important. But not at this stage. Not at this point. So Jesus responds to her with, uh, with compassion, with sensitivity, and refuses to be sidetracked. And next week, you will see that coming out when we move into verse 21, where he just simply says, woman, this is not the issue. Let me tell you what the issue is. This idea of living water. I, I don't know what you hear when you hear that statement. I don't know what you think about when you think about living water. I mean, you ought to think about what happens in a physical sense when physical water, literal water, is taken into a parched and dry mouth. You ought to think about how it, it becomes a reality that it quenches your thirst and it helps you to, it helps you to feel better and it helps you to, to carry on a little bit. You know, I, I couldn't make it through a sermon without my normal water, but I couldn't make it through life without living water. I couldn't face life without living water. Water that doesn't come from a hole in the ground, water that doesn't even come from a spring, water that, that, water that comes from trusting Christ and trusting Him alone. Some of the songs we sang let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. That's that, that when, when God's name is the glory of the church, when it's the passion of the church, that church is feasting at, at springs of living water. When we come to see that Christ is our only hope, our goodness, our, our, our morality, our good deeds are not what sets us in, in right relationship with God. It's His grace. It's His living water that we receive by faith. That's where... The, that's where the hope comes from. That's where life comes from. I want you to see here that this woman starts out by saying, do you think you're greater than Jacob? And, and Jesus basically is what he's doing is unfolding this passage that, yes, I am superior to Jacob. Yes, I am superior to the fathers. Yes, I am superior to the prophets. I'm not just a prophet. I am the very Son of God who brings living water. He's going to unfold that for us through this whole passage with this encounter with a Samaritan woman. 
We'll see that in its totality starting unfolding next week. But there, there are several things I don't want you to miss here. If you don't get anything else out of this passage, there, there are four or five things that I want you to see and I want you to take out of those doors with you today and I want you to think about. First of all, I want you to see what Jesus says about this water. He says it is a gift of God. Verse 10, and if you knew the gift of God, this, this water, this water that springs forth to eternal life, this water that brings about a, a quenching of the thirst that never ends, that, that is always there, that is always available for the believer, this, this, this water is a gift of God. The word gift there is a word that carries with it the idea, the connotation of grace. This water is the grace of God. It's not something you earn. It's not something you pay for. It is the gift of God. You, you find the Pharisees over and over again, the ones who Jesus left Judea because they were beginning to be concerned about him and moved back toward Jerusalem. You find them saying, oh, this is how you establish a right relationship with God. You do these rituals, you go through these things, you do this just right, and if everything aligns up just right, then you're right with God. Jesus says, I want you to understand this living water that brings about eternal life is a gift of God, a grace gift of God. It's no accident that we chose the name when we started this church five and a half years ago of Grace, Grace Baptist Church, because this is a place where we want people to see and know and understand and 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 come under the influence of the grace of God through Jesus Christ and through the cross. Jesus says, I want you to know this water, this eternal water, this living water is a gift from God. Secondly, he says it's living water. Again, in in verse 10, the latter part says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water is water that, that just continues. It, it never ends. We, we tend to think of rivers and streams as being something that are, are never ending, but rivers have been known to dry up, and streams dry up all the time. Uh, sometimes if there's a dry spell, then a, a, a stream will dry up. Living waters never, never dry up because they're fed for something from something that's more powerful than the stream itself. And these living waters don't come in a natural sort of way. They come supernaturally as a gift from God. They are are streams that come from the power of Almighty God, from the grace of Almighty God, from the strength of Almighty God. They are living waters. Red and I took a little trip this past couple of days just to kind of relax for a day or two and went up and looked at the horses and looked at the horse farms up in Versailles and Midway and all up through there. Beautiful country. Just You just go there and say, wow, God created some really, really beautiful stuff when he created his world. But one of the things that we, we saw while we were there and talked to somebody about was that, that up and around Versailles, there are some springs that have been yielding water for, for different sources and different uses for, for over 200 years. And they just they use millions of gallons of water out of those springs. They dig down in the aquifer and, and they, just, they just continue to provide fresh and, 
and limestone-strained waters, and they just continue to flow. And that, that spring just gives water continuously, never dries up. Doesn't mean it can't. But humanly speaking, a spring is something that continues to bubble and continues to be a living water because it just continues to flow forth out of that. This water that Jesus is talking about is a living water and it never dies, it never ends, it never stops. Again, because its source is the Holy Spirit of God. I will give you a drink, I will give you a gift from God It's living water. And then he says in verse 14, he says, And if you drink of it, whoever drinks of the water that I give shall never thirst again. It's always there to satisfy when you're longing. The longing of your soul is thirsty. It's the presence of God by his Holy Spirit in every believer's life who comes to Christ through faith, is given this water. It, it, there, there's, you drink it and you never thirst again. It's always there because it's living water. But I like the way he says it in there. He says, The water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up. He talks more about this never thirsting and this never ending matter. It's not a stagnant water. It's not a pool of water. It's a spring of water. It springs up whenever you need it, always within your life. The power of God's grace, the power of God's salvation is of a never ending character. Never ending continues, doesn't dry up, doesn't become old, doesn't become obsolete. And this water, this water gives eternal life. Come to me, Jesus says. You who are weary and burdened, and I will give you life. I will give you eternal life. Life that never ends. Life that begins in the here and now, right now. In a relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ, His Son, who sacrificed Himself as our substitute on the cross. Come to me. This will be a spring, Jesus says in verse 14, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is saying to this woman, I want you to see something very, very important. Yes, ma'am. I am superior to Jacob. He's not arrogantly superior. He's not being arrogant about that. He's not saying, yep, I'm better than him. That's not it at all. He's just saying that Jacob was in the line of redemption, the line of redemption history that is pointing to one who is yet to come. And I want you to know that one who is yet to come has now come. The one Jacob longed for, the one Abraham longed for, the one Moses longed for, the one that all of redemption history looked to is now standing right in your presence. He's going to deal with that next week. He's standing right before you. He's present among you. I am superior to Jacob, but I'm graciously superior in such a way that my superiority is your salvation. Jacob 
couldn't save. The mountain that she talks about when she tries to get this little smoke screen in verse 20, you, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say it's in Jerusalem that we're to worship. Well, who's right? He's going to say, listen, the mountain is not important. Jerusalem is not important. Jerusalem can't save, but it was out of Jerusalem, out of the, uh, the nation of Israel, that the Savior has come, and he's standing right before you. What Jesus says to this woman is eternally important for you to hear. What Jesus says to this woman was not just for a woman 2,000 years ago at a well in Samaria, but what he says to this woman is applicable and important to you who sit in Somerset, Kentucky 2,000 some years later and hear these same words, I can give you living water that will bring you life and will bring you refreshment for all of your life, both now and forever. That's what eternal life is. If you believe in me, if you trust in me, I will give you something that is more satisfying than a cool drink of water on a very hot, tiring day. I will give you water that will satisfy you forever. But she doesn't see it. Not yet. She, she doesn't realize what he's talking She still wants to go back to give me something so I don't have to carry these buckets. A lot of people in our world today are that way. They, they fail to see the significance of the living water because they want something that satisfies now. That's why you have all these guys who preach and talk about prosperity and talk about, hey, just name it and claim it. Listen, if you come to Christ, he's going to give you all the money you want. He's going to give you the cars you want. He's going to give you the house you want. He's going to give because we're all still caught up to a great deal in the, in the now. Not in what Jesus wants to show us. And that is the money now is irrelevant. Just like that well, that water in that well to eternal things was irrelevant. It was symbolic. And it could help her to see eternal things, but it was irrelevant. It wasn't what she really needed, even though she thought it was. You may be sitting here today and thinking, you know, what I really need is a better job. No, it's not what you really need. If you're not in Christ, you need Christ. If you've never trusted Him, you need to come to Him. And that's pure and simple. All the other things are secondary. All the other things are, are irrelevant because they will come and they will go and you will leave them and you will die and, and, and what they did for you in this life has no significance whatsoever in the life to come. I don't care how compassionate you were in the job you worked. I don't care how much money you put in the bank. I don't care how nice your house was or your car was or anything else. All that is irrelevant. If you've not come to drink of the living water, that is a gift of God's grace that comes only by faith in Him. doesn't sweep under all your effects of the fall in your life. You have to deal with those things, but He deals with them through the water. All that is unnecessary. Yes, Jesus is superior to Jacob because Jesus is not just a prophet as she perceived. Jesus 
is the very God-man. God in the flesh, living and dwelling among us, that we might see God in all His glory. All His glory. As we sing, as we sang, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. That's to know the grace of God and the glory of God in Christ. And that is to be our passion as a church body and as individual believers. Drink of the water. Have your thirst satisfied by coming to the source of satisfaction. The only source of satisfaction. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God in the flesh, the Savior. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we bow before you this morning, acknowledging that we who come to you for living water will spiritually never thirst again. You satisfy our hunger. You satisfy our thirst. Father, I pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw us who know you closer to yourself. Lord, that those that don't know you, you would bring to Christ this day. May your Holy Spirit move among us. May your Holy Spirit convict of sin and show us our need for a Savior. Lord, reveal to us, show us clearly that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. You know the truth of Scripture?